want us uh, to stay here uh, just a moment. But the thing the Lord was just really ministering to my heart as we were worshiping, several passages just began to flood me. And uh, one that just really stuck out, we've been crying out and been praying for more. We even talked this morning about new wineskins so that we could receive what the Lord has for us. And I am not about an outward expression. That does not mean revival. Revival means when hearts are shifted, when lives are radically transformed by the power of God. That's what revival is. But I know this, that when revival starts to hit the heart, the body starts to react. And, that, and one of the scriptures that I was really drawn to as we were in worship was in, uh, wow, i got to find it, John chapter 18. It's when they were coming to arrest Jesus. <clears throat> and it says that, verse 1 says that he went, his disciples went with him over to the brook Kidron where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Verse 4, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? You know, that was what just kept rising up on the inside of my heart this morning. Who are you seeking this morning? Who are you seeking? He said, seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be open, right? He said, who are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He spoke and he said, I am. Translation, the New King James says, I am he. But he was added by translators. So when they said, when he asked the question, who are you seeking? They said, Jesus. He said, I am. And it says they fell back as dead men. The other passage that just rose up in my heart was this was in Luke chapter 19, just the last part of that. He says, uh, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And in in 1 Peter chapter 2, if the Lord allows, if we get an opportunity, I'm going to speak from 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning, but it's not about me speaking. It's about His presence. It's about His presence. And I was... Then taken, uh, because here's my heart. I don't want us to miss his day of visitation. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know exactly what that looks like for us. But here's what I do know. Revival never came the way they thought it would look. Jesus didn't look like they thought he was going to look, so they rejected him. And that's what Luke 19 says. They missed their day of visitation because he didn't look like what they expected him to look like. So it's one thing to say, I seek Jesus, but it's another thing to say, I seek Him with reckless abandon. If He shows up in a way I'm not familiar with, I still seek Him. Huh? He is the object of my desire. Him and Him only. And of course, I was drawn to David. I've shared this many times. I believe David was a man who understood New Covenant, but was trapped, if you will, in the old. He understood worship. And in in, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6, they go to get the ark, and we know know what happened. They went to get the ark, and they they did it according to man, not according to God. 
And they put it on a cart, and they were trying to take it to Jerusalem. Why? But why did they want? What was David seeking? He was seeking the presence of the Lord. Nothing else mattered to David but the presence of the Lord. That was all that he was consumed with. So his heart was right. His intention was right. But he didn't do it according to God. He did it according to man. He said, it worked for them. We'll just do what they did. And it didn't work that way. And as you're reading through chapter 6, you see that uh, the... It stumbled, the ox stumbled, and Uzzah reached out to touch it, and he was killed. And then they left it there at the house of Obed-Edom. And it says, The ark of the Lord remained the house of Obed-Edom, the Canaanite, I mean, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Why was he blessed? Because the presence of the Lord was there. Not because they had the greatest children's ministry, not because they had the best worship, not because they were doing everything right to be uh, seeker friendly, but no, he had one per one reason for the blessing, and it was the presence of the Lord. By the fact, the Bible says the presence of the Lord makes rich. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and He adds no sorrow to it. Obed Edom was living in that. He, he just he the, it says that he was blessed. His whole household was blessed. And verse twelve says, "Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed Edom." And all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of, the, of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. He went after the ark and he went with gladness. He didn't just go do it. He didn't do it because of the blessing that was on Obed-Edom. He did it because his pursuit was the presence of the Lord. But this time, if you, if you read in, uh, I can't remember if it's Kings or Chronicles, where the other story of David going after the ark, it tells how David went back and he, he read and found out how was the right way to do it. So he was more concerned with not just having the presence of the Lord, but doing it to honor the Lord. Verse 13 says, And so it was when, the, when those bearing, listen to this, when those bearing the ark had, of the Lord had gone six paces, they sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. And again, I think it's in Samuel, sec, uh, no, in 1 Chronicles 15. Then David, verse 14, then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod, which only the priest wore under his priestly garments. But we won't get into all of that. Um, so they brought the ark of the Lord. Uh, wow. Verse 15, so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting with the sound of the trumpet. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. I don't want us to miss the day of visitation. I don't want anybody here. Who, you know, and here's what I encourage you. If you have to close your eyes and worship, close your eyes and worship. Don't be caught up in how different people manifest. But here's what I know. Every time our humanity comes in touch with His glory, with His deity, something gives, and it's not Him. Something gives, and it's never Him. Because it's who He is. It's not what He's portraying to be. Do you hear me? So I, I don't want us... 
to miss. I don't want us to be barren because it doesn't look like what we expect it to look like. Are you with me? That we say, Jesus, we want you. We want you. And we may... I, uh, man, we'll get there eventually. In, in Peter's gospel, uh, Peter 2. And it says... She despised the Lord in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. It was a different tabernacle. This tabernacle was only surrounded by praise and worship. In Psalms says that he inhabits the praise of Israel. Well, we've been grafted in. So he inhabits our praise. That's why we praise like we, that's why we worship like we do, because it's what's going on right now in heaven, and that's how we partner with heaven. One way is in our worship, and we press in, and as we do, He manifests. I, I, uh, I'm not trying to talk until I say something. I'm saying a whole lot. I'm just pray, praying you get it. But I was reading a book uh, that Mel told me about by Tommy Tenney, and I don't even remember the name of it. Something about believe. But it was talking about worship. Tommy Tenney is an amazing man of worship. But in there, he talked about a baby and how when a baby's hungry, they cry out. And they're not concerned with who's in the room or what's going on around them. They cry out. They don't care who's speaking. And he even gave the illustration of he was speaking. And he's a a world-known speaker he gave the illustration. He was in a, in a conference speaking, and this baby started crying. And the baby didn't take a, ma- a minute and go, wait, that's Tommy Tenney speaking. <laughs> he didn't care. It was hungry. Mel talked earlier about being hungry. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they what? Will be filled. What is righteousness? Is it right doing? No. Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our righteousness. So you can say it this way. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for Christ. They will be filled. Not for right doing, because righteousness is not right doing. It's the gift that we became righteous because he became sin. Jesus is our righteousness. So when we hunger and thirst for him, he's promised we will be filled. Right? You know what? That looks different for each of us. It, it looks different. Every one of us don't respond to the presence of the Lord the same way. But here's what I want you to understand. He's here. And how you respond is between you and him. But I'm saying this. Don't push it aside because something else may go on that doesn't look like what you're familiar with. Did you hear me? Michael didn't like what David was doing because it didn't look like what a king should be doing. And it says she despised him in her heart. And because of that, she was barren. She was barren. Never produced a child again. Why? She despised David and rejected his passion for the Lord. I don't want us to miss what the Lord has for us. What does that look like? I couldn't tell you. But you know what? I'm not concerned with it. I'm more convinced that the Spirit of God's able to lead us than the devil is to deceive us. <laughs> but it only comes through an insatiable hunger for Him.
not a move of God. And Mel even posted it on Facebook this week. Eric Johnson spoke so beautifully last week at Bethel. And he said, don't seek an encounter of God. Seek the God of the encounter. That's our passion here. That we seek that God of encounter. That we don't discount it because our encounter doesn't look like somebody else's encounter. But also that we don't dismiss it because ours doesn't look like someone else's. Or dismiss theirs. Amen. And he wants so much. To not just us have church. But us encounter him and who he is. Are we willing to do that? Are we we willing to say, Jesus, it's you I seek. It's just you. It's only you. And are we willing to say, Jesus, if you come different than what I expected, your spirit, Romans 8 says, will bear witness with my spirit and I'll receive you. Huh? That's our challenge before us is to receive him, not be consumed with anything but him. So, Father, we say, come. We say, Lord, we want you more than we want anything else. God, we desire your manifest presence, not just as we gather corporately, but God, every day of our lives. We submit ourselves to you, Holy Spirit, as vessels. And as 1 John 4 says, as you are, so are we in this earth. We are manifestations of the glory, the presence of the living God. It's your breath in our lungs. (laughs) Oh, Father, I thank you. I thank you, Father, for you, (laughs) Father, (laughs) Jehovah, Father, we desire you. Hallelujah, Lord. We bless you with our heart, with our voice, Lord God. We bless you. Worthy are you, Lord. Great is our God and greatly to be praised. That's who you are. Great are you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. I believe we can come to church and hear a sermon or we can we can come to church and be church. <laughs> I'd rather see one than hear one. And I like it best when he's the one preaching. But I do want to share this. Just stay where you are. Don't don't shift. Just stay with me because everything that's been going on, the Lord has just really drawn me back to the Word of God. And I think we've got to have our foundation in there. That's how we stay true to who He is and what He's doing. We stay true to the Word. And everything that we've seen and experienced today has been straight out of the Bible. Maybe not straight out of church, but straight out of the Bible. That's pretty rich. I take the Bible over church every day. And I don't think you have to separate the two. But 
in First Peter chapter 2, I told you I, I want to just read this to you because as I was studying it, it just really, really came alive, and it just goes right with what's going on right here. First Peter 2, I'm going to read about 12 verses to you, so don't get lost. Just stay in his presence. The word won't run his presence off, I promise. Come on. Verse 1, I'm reading uh, from the ESV. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Listen, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, uh, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up, a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame." So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, that stone with the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Wow. Huh? Come on. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were uh, destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of this flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. (laughs) That they may glorify God on the day of visitation. I want to back up and say just a couple of things. In this passage, it says here, he says, put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So if he's telling you to put something away, guess what? You have the ability to do so. Guess what else? It's your responsibility to do it. Not mine, not me to pray for you that it would go away. He said you put it away. So it's your responsibility and you have the ability to do it. How cool is that? Then it says this. Like newborn infants, isn't that cool that we talked about that already? That that baby, that newborn baby, when it's hungry, it, it wants everybody, everybody around the baby's going to know it's hungry. And what Chris said was so awesome when she said, I've, his breath has been in me all this time. It's time to let it out. Huh? Come on. And you know what's so sweet? When he starts letting it out, it doesn't always look like we expect it to. Shaba. Listen, he said this. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it, and, and I love this in the ESV. John says, of course, it's the right translation. It says that you may grow up to salvation. Now, In a law grace mentality, that means there's things I have to do to be saved. But in the purity of the scripture, what he's saying is this. That word to literally means into. So what Peter is saying for long for the truth of his word. And as you do, you grow up into 
deliverance, preservation, salvation, wholeness. Because that's what salvation means. So he said, as we desire him, as we long for him, as we desire that sincere truth of his word, it says that we grow up into. It doesn't say that it's not, are you listening? Do you hear me? It's not a place we arrive. It's a growing up into what's already there. Come on, that's good. That's just good. That we grow up into salvation. So what that means is as we press into him and it's it's his spirit that drives us. It's then that he says, and you've become living stones, building up a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. How in the world can that be? You don't know me. I may not know the old you, but when you get born again, you become a new creation. You become one with him. 1 Corinthians 6, 17. Your spirit is one spirit with his spirit. So if you have Christ in you, then you're not who you used to be. That we are a holy priesthood. He's given for us eternal redemption through the blood of the Lamb. And and for sake of time, I'm not going to do it. But it would be good for you to read up on Hebrews 7 through 10. (laughs) Homework. Because we're going to talk about that next week. I'm not going to do it this week. But in there, it talks about... Because it's one thing to to proclaim. Well, I'm a priest. I'm a holy priesthood. I'm a chosen generation. I'm a a holy nation. It's another thing to know what that's based on. Let me clarify that. Who that's based on. And the price that was paid. It was His blood. You know what's so awesome about that, too? In Hebrews, I think it's chapter, um, Hebrews 9, 5. says this, And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. So he's talking about the Ark of the Covenant. And he talks about there in 9. It's, it's just amazing. He talks about our priesthood and what we have now, the better covenant that we have and things like that. But what's so cool there, what really jumped out at me is I was just reading this. I was, have you ever been reading the Bible to get past something to something? And the Lord just goes, bam! And you go, whoa, I've never seen that. Because you weren't even trying to read that. You, know, you just wanted to stay. Here's my, here's my grid, let me tell you. I want to be in context. I don't want to pull one passage out to make it say what I want it to say just because it sounds good. I've been there and done that. I just feel as a young preacher and not so young preacher, I've done that. And you hear that done, but I wanted to read it in context to see what was being said. And I'm just reading through, and I get to this verse, and it says, it's describing, he said, and the cherubim of glory, what are they? They're angels of glory, and what are they doing? They're overshadowing. What are they overshadowing? The mercy seat. Not the judgment seat. Not the sin seat, but what happened there? That's where sin was judged for them every year. Right? And, but it was called the what seat? And what was overshadowing it? The glory of his angels. Come on. So when his glory, when his angels come in, there's an overshadowing. There's a presence. I mean, we were, uh, it was last Saturday, I think it was. I can't remember when it was. The Lord's just been doing so much good stuff. I can't remember. Linda, I'm going to put you on. When was it that you saw the angel in the corner? Was it last Sunday or last Saturday night during worship? See, here's what I know. The porters see angels. I don't understand all I know about that, but they do. They see angels. But here's, here, listen, here's what I know. Angels don't show up to be seen. 
They come with purpose. He said here, the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. And I believe what the Lord wants us to know today is that His presence is His mercy. His presence is His glory that's overshadowing. Let me just let me take it down another level. If I'm here and my shadow is here and someone greater than I, bigger than I, stands beside me, they overshadow me. So when you look down... I'm still here, but you don't see me. (laughs) Come on. Why? Because I'm overshadowed. Oh, man. You know what? That's what he's doing today. He's overshadowing. So you know what's so awesome about that? No matter what you brought in, he's greater. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 